0: Matthew chapter number 6, if you would, this morning. Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to look at the end of the chapter here. And uh, again, this is a very familiar passage. In Kosrai. I went through the entire uh, sermon that Jesus preached from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. It took me about six to eight months to do so, so I will not do that with you this morning. And, uh, but uh, we want to cover just a section here. And I notice how the devil works differently in different places. In Koshri, it's very open. He uses religion. I, he uses religion all over the world. But he's very open in the attack there. It's very seen. And what I see here in the United States is, I believe the devil uses distraction. He gets us so distracted by things in this world. And all of a sudden, they become the things of this world become most important in our life. And when you go back to Jesus' message here, to his disciples, you find that one of these areas that he wanted them, he wanted them to make the most important thing, God. That was supposed to be the most important thing in their life. And yet the devil gets us so distracted in life on all these things that God gets the leftover. He just gets what's left. When Jesus said in his own words that he should be first place, we allow just all these distractions to take us off the most important thing in our life. He starts in verse 19. We're not going to read that. We'll come back to that in a second. But Jesus kind of changed his tune here. And I think from verse 19 all the way down to the end of the chapter, he basically asked his disciples this question, what you living for? What you living for? And I want to look at verse 33. We'll read it here this morning. Matthew 6 You probably know it by heart, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The last furlough that we came home, we had a testimony about a man whose life got changed in Koshrai. And it was fantastic. I'm going to share that testimony now. But it ended very sadly, and I'll I'll give you that last point of that. The man's name was Albert, and uh, how we got in touch with Albert was his nine-year-old son. We had our first vacation Bible school in Taffensack, and uh, Albert's youngest son, nine years old, named Paul, came to our vacation Bible school. On the last night of vacation Bible school uh, with a group of other kids, Paul made a decision. He trusted Christ as his personal Savior. And you could see the change in this young boy's life. He went home immediately that day. It was a Friday. He went home and he looked at his dad, Albert. Now, Paul was a little kid. He was short for a nine-year-old, small. Albert was taller than I was, 350 pounds. And he looked at his dad and said, Dad, you are a sinner and you need a savior. That was what he told his dad immediately after getting saved in vacation Bible school. Albert said he'd be doing something that was wrong. And Paul would be right there and he'd go, Dad, you're doing that because you're a sinner and you need a savior. And uh, he just, he would nail his dad on this time and time again. And finally, uh, one Sunday night, Albert snuck into our service. He sat in the back. And uh, he was trying to sneak in and sneak out before anybody saw him. But that night my dad was on island and he was preaching. And uh, as my dad preached, uh, Albert listened and we caught him before he snuck out of service. And he said these words. He said, I've never heard anything like that before in my life. My dad simply was covering the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, I've been in that national church all my life. And I've never once heard... The gospel is what he told us. He said, would you guys be willing to come and talk with me more about this? We said, we would love to. The next day we drove to his house. We opened up God's word. And an hour or so later, Albert trusted Christ as his personal savior. He said, pray for me. He said, this afternoon, my wife's going to get off work and come home. And I'm going to have to tell her about this decision that I've made. So we prayed with him. We went home. That evening, he pulled into our house. He was crying. I said, what happened, Albert? He said, my wife came home, and uh, when she came home, I said, honey, I accepted Jesus to be my personal Savior. She said, wait one second. She said, does that mean you're going to that Baptist church? That's the word she said to him. He said, honey, you don't understand. He said, we've been in this national church all our life, and never once have they told us the truth from God's word. He said, I have to go. I I must learn more about the truth of God's word. She said to him, you go to that Baptist church, I'll leave you. Now listen, folks, he'd been saved hours. He said, I don't know what else to do. He said, they're the ones teaching the truth. She packed up her belongings in the house. She walked out the door on him. He drove to our house immediately after that. What do I do now? Oh, that's a hard way to counsel. We prayed with him. We cried with him. The next day he called us up. He said, my wife came back this morning. She said, I'll be your wife, but I will never go to that Baptist church. He said, just come be my wife. Three months later, she showed up for the first time. You know what happened? She saw the change in her husband. The one that used all the money to go drinking with. The one that beat her and abused the children. She saw what Christ can do to a life and she wanted to buy in. All of a sudden she became faithful to our church. And over the next couple of months she accepted Christ herself. They were on fire. I trained him. He was working with our youth. He was teaching in our Sunday school. Man, they were growing, they were on fire, and we came back for furlough. Nothing of the, my parents were the ones that were relieving us at the time, but he got into an argument with somebody in the church. You know, one of these arguments. They didn't like the color of the wall or the color of the carpet. You know, one of those arguments, something dumb. When I came back, that fire I saw was out of Albert. I went and talked with him, and he told me this. He said, Pastor, I'm going to go back to that national church. I said, Albert, I said, You've seen how God, they fired him from his job because he came to our church. And God found him a better job than what he had. I said, you've seen what has taken place. You've seen God come through for your life. I said, this problem is not that big of an issue. We can deal with this thing. He said, I'm going back. I've already made my decision. He said, what I'll do is I'll preach the gospel from the inside out. I said, Albert, that sounds wonderful, but it'll never work. I found out the first Sunday morning, he walked the aisle of that month and signed his name in the book of life. And I talked to him after that. I said, Albert, I said, you can, tell Je- you can tell people Jesus is the only way, but your actions show that there's another way to heaven. It was so sad of a situation. What I found out later was that National Church came to him and they said, We'll pay you to come be our youth pastor, we'll give you a position. We'll give you some notoriety on the island. And he took it like that. And you know, as sad as that story is, do you realize that each and every one of us are one second away from doing the same thing? It is so easy. When we allow things to become the most important thing in our life, we are on that way of making him the least important thing in our life. Jesus told his disciples, seek ye First, the kingdom of God. We see examples throughout the Bible of those that did and those that don't. Look at Luke chapter number 12. We're coming back here to Matthew, but look at Luke chapter number 12. You find an example of one uh, that did not put God first in his life. Uh, It starts in 13. A guy coming to him asking Jesus about splitting an inheritance. And Jesus says in 14, who made me a judge or divider over you? Christ was trying to talk about spiritual things here in Luke. And this guy wanted to talk about material things. And, and Jesus said, I'm not interested in this conversation. Notice what he says next. Look at 15. And he, Jesus, said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he hath possessed. Or that that uh, which he possesseth. You think about this. In America today, uh, we use this verse, uh, but we take the word not out of it. We say a man's life consisteth Of what he possesseth. That's the most important thing in his life. But what Jesus said is, He said here that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then He gives the parable of the rich fool. 16 And He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And He thought within Himself, saying, What shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It's amazing here. He said, look at all I have done. Look at all my fruits. He was distracted by the things in this world. The word I and my mentioned 11 times here in these few verses. This guy had an eye problem is what he had. He was so concerned about what he could do, what he could gain. And notice what God says. Verse 20. But God saith unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And here's the statement. Then whose shall those things You find here an individual that lived his life for the things of this world, and God said, today you're dying, then who's going to get those things? You can live for the things of this world, but I'm telling you what, when you die, those things stay here and are divided up against your living relatives. Whose things are those going to be? Notice what the next verse says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich. Toward God. I believe that in this world today, we have so many that have gathered up riches unto themselves and are not rich towards the things of God. Keep turning here, look at Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11, we find a bad example of the rich fool, but we find a great example in Abraham. And the example that Abraham sets for us is an example of faith, it's a, an example of believing God, obeying God. And then seeing God's blessing. Now it's amazing. He was promised, Abraham was promised that land. Did Abraham ever receive the land in his day? No. Yet he continued to have faith. Did Isaac receive the land in his day? No. Did Jacob? No. Yet they believe God. They trusted God. And I want you to notice, look at Hebrews eleven eight. 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out not knowing whether he went. He started this step of faith, and it wasn't like he knew what the end was going to be. We want sometimes when we make our step of faith to know what the end's going to be. When you look at the Bible, these folks didn't know what the end was going to be. That was their faith. They believed and obeyed. Then it says in verse 9, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise. Listen, Abraham, God came to him. He said, leave your father's house and go to this land that I'm going to give you. You think about the word of God that Abraham had. He had about that much of God's word. He had just a teeny tiny portion. But when you look at his faith, his faith was so great. And today we have the complete word of God.
1: We don't have just a little
0: portion of God's word like Abraham had. Yet when you look at our faith, it's so small. What has taken place? Abraham put God first. He was the most important thing in his life. He trusted him and obeyed. And even though he had a small bit of the promise, he had a large, but he had a great faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We today should have that great faith because we have a great portion of God's word. And yet they lived their lives. Notice 13, Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. When Abraham died, the only part of Canaan land that was to his possession was that burial plot for Sarah. That was it. That's all he had. But he believed God. He staked everything on God. And why did he do that? Look at the next verse. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. What country was he seeking? Verse 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. God gave Abraham a promise. He gave him an earthly promise. He gave him an eternal promise. And Abraham was focused not on the earthly side. He was focused on the eternal side. And today, we have both earthly and eternal promises in God's Word. And we can focus on the earthly, and you know what? We miss out on the eternal. We can become rich to ourselves and poor toward God. Or we can be as Abraham and focus on the eternal and keep our eyes lightly. Yeah, we need clothes. Jesus said that. We need food, we need a house over our head but they don't need to be the most important things in this life. Notice what it said then, 15, Hebrews eleven, fifteen, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. You know why Albert looked back? You know why, why he went back? Because he looked back. That's what took place there. Why don't we look back to our past? Do you know that our memory fails us? When I was a kid, my dad, we came home on furlough. We lived in farm country in Ohio. And uh, we lived in a farmhouse. It had a little lane that was off that. My dad would stop the car when he turned into that lane and he would let my sister and I, I would have been about 11, 12 years old, he would let us drive from the end from the road to the house. As an 11, 12-year-old boy, that was a two-mile drive. I'm telling you, that lane was forever long. Ah, it was just the greatest thing we'd drive down that. Then he would let us from the house drive back up the lane. We, uh, years ago, my sister and I, when I was still in college, we were headed down, we were in that area. We said, hey, let's go find that old house. We started driving around. We found the road that it was on. We were driving down the road, and man, the house we were coming up to, it looked like the house, but it was far closer to the road than that lane that I could remember. Man, I remember as a kid, it was like a two-mile lane. You couldn't even see the house from the road. When we drove up, you could take a rock from the road and you could hit the house with it. That lane was so short. You know what happened? My memory failed me. You know, we sit in Koshrai. We have some of the worst drivers you have ever seen. They will park their car in the middle of the road and they'll go Farming. And I mean, you just drive up and there's this car, no one in it, just in the middle. There'll be an open spot to park the car and they'll leave it sit in the middle of the road. Here's my favorite. We have one road, 18 miles. That's all we have in Kosh They will see their buddy and stop in the road and have a conversation with one another with their windows down as all the cars back up because there's nowhere else to go. They'll just sit there and talk. And I think, man, I wish we'd be in America where they knew how to drive. Then I come back on furlough. Oh, the other day, they'll watch. This woman just stopped in the middle of a green light because she wanted to turn about right into the back of her. Listen, in her mind, you think how great it is in the past. But our past isn't so great. Isn't that why Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark, toward the high calling of God. I wonder, folks, have we got looking back we are one second away from being Albert. He looked at the material side of things. He looked at how good of a position that he could have. And he desired that more. He made that more important than God. I wonder, as we live our life, are we focused on the earthly or are we focused on the eternal? Notice the next verse in Hebrews 11, 16, But now... They desire a better country. This is what Abraham desired. That is in a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Far beyond anything that God prepared for them in Canaan land, he prepared greater in heaven. I hear, I've never seen, but I hear that the promised land is a beautiful place. The Bible describes it as the land that flows with milk and honey. But I'll tell you what, it compares nothing to what God has prepared in eternity. And I'll tell you, on this earth, there are plenty of things that can make you happy. There are plenty of hobbies that you can have that can give you pleasure in life. There are so many things that you can have that, that feel so great, but not one of those things here on this earth compared to what God has prepared for those that know Him. I wonder this morning, What are you living for? When you go back to Matthew chapter number 6, in verse 19, Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. He gives three reasons why. Moth, rust, and thieves. You know the things we count precious are clothing. A simple bug that if you touch its wing can never fly again can destroy our most precious possessions. It can eat these things. And then we, we, we worship things like cars and precious metals. Those things can so easily be destroyed by rust. I know you guys live in Florida. We have a big rust problem in High. If it doesn't rust, uh, then uh, the termites eat it. That's, that's about all that we have left, you know, is, is the dust or the rust that's left. But you think about it, what we count so precious can be destroyed by a bug, can be destroyed by rust, or even as great as we can protect it, a thief will break through and steal. So Jesus said, lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. Because those three things don't exist there. Those three things can't take away your possessions there. What he was saying is quit focusing on the earthly side, focus on the eternal, for where your treasure is, There will your heart be also. He went on to say in two verses later, No man can serve two masters. We can't live for the things of this life, make them the most important thing, and live for God and make Him the most important thing. We can't have both. We'll love the one and hate the other. We must choose which one will be most important. And I'll tell you this, you must choose every day. This thing is a daily choice that comes up in our life. We must choose. What are we going to live for? You know what he also talks about? Worry. You know, we get so worried about the things in this life. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6.25. He said, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. You know what he's saying here? Quit worrying about life. Quit worrying about these things. Let me ask you a question. Does worry change anything? We we think of things and worry about things. Somebody said that the things we worry about, 80% of the time, never even come true in the first place. Yet they consume our time. And Jesus said, take no thought for your life. Quit worrying about these things. He gives the illustration there uh, of the one that wants to add to their stature. If you're worried about being short, can you add to your stature? Now, I know there's high heels, ladies, but that does not permanently add to your stature. No, none of us can add or take away from our stature. Now, we add and take away from our waistlines, but uh, adding to the stature does not work. And then he gave the illustration of the birds of the air. And the lilies of the field. And he said, if if my father is able to take care of the birds, and my father is able to clothe the lilies of the field, can he take care of us? I love children. There are two children that are more precious to me than any of the other ones. My children. They're mine. And if you know Christ as personal Savior, we're a child of God. And if he can take care of birds, and he can take care of flowers, can he take care of his children? I'm saying we need these things to live, but they don't need to be the most important. Quit worrying about it. Notice then he said, uh, take no thought. uh, Look in uh, 31. Therefore, take no thought what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink or wherewithal shall ye be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. You know what worry shows? A lack of trust in God. A lack of trust in God. Notice what he said in verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow will take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Worry profits nothing. Realize this. If God can take care of me today, God can take care of me tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. If God has taken care of me all the way to here, he can take care of me till the end. He is sufficient. He is enough. So Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. I wonder in life, what is most important? What are we living for? The rich fool lived for everything that he could gain. Abraham lived because he believed God, trusted God, and lived by faith. I gave you the testimony growing up in a Christian home. My dad did not grow up in a Christian home. He lived in a home where his father pushed him and his siblings to do the wickedest things. I I can't even imagine that a dad, that, 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 that a human father would push their children to do these things. But he pushed, he encouraged his children to do wicked things. My dad got saved at 16 years old and he said, I'm not going to raise my family this way. And I'm so thankful He left me a godly heritage. It's interesting. When we read through Hebrews, it characterized Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by two things. First, it said they lived in tabernacles. You know what it showed? Their attitude toward this earth. There's no one that sets down a tent and says, this is my permanent home." Tents are not permanent homes. Now, I know some of the hunters and tough guys, you know, they would say that. But their wives will say, "Uh uh-uh, buddy, that is not permanent resting place. How Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived on this earth, they lived in tents. They said, listen, this isn't our permanent place. It said they were strangers, meaning this wasn't their home, and that they were pilgrims, that they were on their way home. They're just passing through. That's how they characterized their attitude to this world. But when you look at the way they worship God, they worshipped him with an altar. You know what an altar was? It wasn't a temporary place to worship. It was a permanent place. It was a place that was meant for the next generation and the next generation. It wasn't a tent. It was something that they built that would last. Abraham's step of faith led to Isaac's step of faith. That led to Jacob's step of faith. That led to Joseph's step of faith. And on down the line it went. My dad's step of faith led to my step of faith. And I hope my step of faith leads to my children's step of faith. But it's our attitude to this world. Are we living as strangers and pilgrims just passing through? Or are we setting down permanent roots, so concerned making the things of this world most important and making, giving God what's left? Or do we focus on the eternal and we make that the most important thing, leaving a godly heritage for our children and grandchildren? It's interesting. Abraham, when you look at his lineage, leaves... Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way down to Christ, all the way down that Jewish line. Do you realize there was somebody else that left Abraham's father's house with him? His name was Lot. Abraham was focused on the heavenly. Lot was focused on Sodom. He was focused on the earthly. And you know what legacy that Lot left? He left Moab and, and uh, um, Ammon. I, names, <laughs> escape me there, Ammon. What a legacy that he left. Why? Focused on the earthly. I wonder this morning, as Jesus asked his own disciples, what you living for? What are you living for today? We can become rich on the things of this earth. We can be focused, make those the most important, and leave a horrible legacy. Or we can focus on the heavenly and leave a legacy, a godly line behind us.